You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Reset, which, for the first time in a while, isn't related in any way to the pandemic. We don't even mention it, except for right here. This time, we're bringing you an explainer that I hope will help you all think about music a little differently. Oh, and it starts with a rant from a famous musician. Enjoy. It used to be everybody heard it. The whole world heard quality. Now the whole world hears shit. This is legendary musician Neil Young. Yes, the same Neil Young who played the guitar part on Buffalo Springfield's For What It's Worth. And who sang harmonies on this classic Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young tune? House is a very, very, very fine house. And, of course, who wrote dozens of folk and rock anthems like Rockin' in the Free World. Young is a legend of rock and roll. He's got two Grammys and dozens of nominations. But over the years, he's taken up a cause that directly relates to his music career. He's become an audio quality crusader. Which brings me to a recent episode of another Vox Media podcast called The Vergecast. Young did an interview with Neil I. Patel. And in that interview, he spent quite a bit of time blasting the quality of streaming music services and digital music recordings as a whole. There's no doubt music is great, but the music that's out there today on Spotify and Apple is terrible. It's shitty. That's basically what it is. If the audience wants to hear music, they haven't had a chance if all they're doing is listening to Spotify. So there's no way they could ever know. And that made me wonder, is Neil Young right that everyone is listening to shitty music? Today on the show, the science behind digital music and why Neil Young should probably calm down. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. I think the, the thing that I tweeted was, old man yells at SoundCloud. This is Danny Deal. I'm a reporter at The Verge. I cover the intersection of music and technology. And other than that, I've also been a DJ for many, many years. I'm the vice president of the Chicago chapter for the Recording Academy, and I'm a music producer as well. That is a, quite a list of things that you're doing. Yeah, a little bit of musical history. Can you sort of set the scene for this interview, explain what it was, where it was taking place? Yeah, the interview was part of the Verge cast, and Neil Young has a lot of thoughts about audio in particular, high-res audio, and the differences between analog audio and digital audio. And that conversation just seemed to devolve very quickly into Neil Young ranting about the current state of music consumption, but also music production. And the quote that stuck 
in everyone's minds was when he said the MacBook Pro has Fisher-Price audio quality. It's a piece of crap. Are you kidding? That's like Captain Kangaroo, your new engineer. I love Neil Young, but it, it just <laughs> felt it felt like a lot and it felt very not inclusive of the tech advances that have happened in audio and where uh, audio also has come from. What were the arguments that Neil Young made that made you go like, okay, whoa, this is this is a lot? I mean, Neil Young is a lot in general. Uh, but there were a couple of things where I thought he was being maybe a little bit egregious in how he was talking about the differences between analog and digital. One of the things he said was that analog is just superior in general to digital. Neil Young also said that analog is more accurate than digital and not just better sounding, and that's not necessarily the case. The older technology used to give you a reflection of it so that you could still feel it. Today, it's reconstituted, it's poorly sampled, it's, uh, it's garbage that has less bits to save people memory, which is not even relevant anymore. We have so much memory. Okay, so that's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. What was your initial reaction to Neil Young's comments? My initial reaction was a mixed bag. I'm honestly all for people listening to music in higher quality. On the other hand, most people can't distinguish the difference. If you look at a TV, you know how many pixels you are looking at. But if you're listening to music, that seems to be more of a subjective quality that differs from person to person and seems to be less measurable or tangible, even though technically there are baselines that we can model what good audio sounds like and what bad audio sounds like. Danny makes a good point. It's hard to judge things you can't see. But is this issue of digital versus analog audio, is that really subjective? Does the music I stream on Spotify or SoundCloud really sound that much worse than the music on a record? Is analog superior to digital in every way? I decided to ask a scientist. So Rob, can you introduce yourself? So I'm Rob Owen. I'm a... uh professor at uh, Oberlin College. Professionally, I'm a computational astrophysicist, uh, which might seem pretty far removed from acoustics, but actually what I study, you might think of it as the acoustics of the universe. My main focus is uh, gravitational waves, which are the ripples in the fabric of space-time that move outward after really violent astrophysical events like collisions of black holes and neutron stars. Every year, I teach a course in the acoustics of music to actually a very broad array of students. (laughs) I love the way that you explained uh, your field. That is wonderful. So let's get into the basics of this whole debate here. And I mean serious basics. Mm -hmm. When we talk about analog versus digital. What do we mean? What is analog and what is digital? The sound wave that exists in the room when somebody produces a sound until someone hears it is a set of vibrations in the air. Sure. And that turns into a sound when those vibrations, little oscillations in the air pressure, get measured by the human ear or a microphone or something like that and gets turned into a signal. Now, that can get turned into a signal in a lot of different ways. Uh, So sort of the 
uh, simplest analog method you might think of would be an old-fashioned phonograph sure. where those vibrations drive a little needle to scrape a little curve into a piece of wax. And uh, that little channel that gets drawn through the piece of wax is a representation of the sound that existed in the room. I was born in Michigan, and I wish and wish again that I was back in the town where I was born. And a digital signal just means that instead of physically drawing something through wax, you are taking a sequence of discrete uh, separated measurements of the air pressure at regularly spaced intervals of time. So the standard method involves just over 44,000 measurements every second just get written down as numbers in a uh, digital signal. In a string of like ones and zeros. That's right. Is that the same process of ones and zeros representing an analog electrical signal and then creating sound? Is that what happens when I stream music? Yes. It's the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, so the ones and zeros are just being sent over the internet. What happens is those ones and zeros get fed into a digital-to-analog converter, which is basically a machine that turns those numbers into an electrical signal, which can then be sent to an amplifier and to a loudspeaker or a set of headphones. So always in the end, what we hear is an analog signal. It's only digital when it's being recorded by the electronics or stored in the electronics. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing from you is that the difference between analog and digital is that basically digital is taking that sound and coding it into ones and zeros. So really, it's like digital is a representation of the sound. Yes, and and analog is as well. Mm. An analog representation is also just a representation of whatever information was able to get into the analog medium. This might be a sort of a weird question, but if analog and digital, the difference is just in how a sound is represented, then why are we, (laughs) why does this debate keep coming up? Why is Neil Young so upset? So when we turn an audio signal into a digital signal, there is a lot of information in that. Too much information to store in a lot of situations and too much information to stream over the internet in a lot of situations. And so those audio signals get compressed in one way or another, which usually involves some sort of code. It kind of sounds like the difference between a raw file and uh, a JPEG. Absolutely, yes. So there are some codes that you can make that keep all of the necessary information, and there are some codes that are a little bit more aggressive than that. So a lossless uh, encoding is a code that actually records all of the information. It just writes it in a slightly more efficient way to save space. A lossy uh, format is one where information is actually thrown away so that the um, compression of the data can be a little bit more efficient. So if I was trying to send a text signal uh, to someone else and I noticed, you know, in the English language, we use the letter X very infrequently. Maybe I'll just ignore every single word that involves the letter X. Right. Then I can compress my message more efficiently but I also lose some information. Right, you distill it down to its essence, but then you're also missing some of the beauty of, of, of the messiness of a file that is that contains all of the information. 
or in a sense, I'm distilling it a little bit past its mm. essence. I'm actually removing something from it. With that in mind, are all digital files created equally in terms of quality? I'm talking like MP3s, which are compressed or what people call lossy, versus WAV files, which aren't. Is it all the same? Uh, on that, I would say absolutely not. Uh, there has been quite a lot of variation over the years. So if you were listening to audio that you downloaded off Napster... and I may or may not have done that. <laughs> that was probably very aggressively compressed so that people could download it over their dial-up modems or something like that. It's certainly an experience that I've had. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Then when you listen to it, it sounds noticeably different from the actual sound. The way it always sounded to me was it was as if, you know, uh, it's as if I was listening to the music underwater. And so some of these lossy algorithms, if they throw away too much information, it becomes absolutely uh, noticeable that that information has been lost. I will say that the lossy algorithms have gotten a lot better since then hmm. because originally they were designed just using approaches from information theory that were not at all informed by the psychology or the neuroscience of how the ear perceives sounds. Oh, interesting. So if I were to listen to an MP3 file downloaded from Napster in 2002 mm -hmm. and I were to listen to that same song streaming from Spotify today, it it would sound a lot better now? Yes. Huh. There are some issues with digital audio that turn out to be very important for a human listener, and there are other issues that turn out not to be important. Nowadays, uh, a lot of these algorithms have been informed by a lot of what we call psychoacoustics. The algorithms now are able to, um, uh, to separate out the parts of the sound that a human would be able to hear from the parts of the sound that a human would be less able to hear. It kind of sounds like what you're saying is that you're removing the noise and just making sure that the intention of the artist remains the same and that the sound is clear. That's right. As I'm, you know, walking back and forth to work and just listening on headphones and generally kind of distracted, I listen to streamed audio in lossy formats all the time and I don't feel like I'm missing something. However, if I was sitting in a dark room at home and really concentrating on the music, I would prefer a lossless format that has not made any of those decisions for me. After the break, we go even deeper and get even geekier about audio recording. This is Reset. Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden, but this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there's no way that, that Israel should be able to participate in Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. 
This week on The Gray Area, Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn? Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird. <laughs> that's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Owen, physicist at Oberlin College, we were just talking about different file types. And I'm wondering, Neil Young talked a lot in his conversation with Neil I. Patel. He talked a lot about higher sample rates being better. If you get 192, which is the highest, or 384 in your dreams, then you, 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 get, you get that and you have a chance at hearing that if everything else in your chain is good. And so I'm wondering, first off, what the heck is a sample rate? As I mentioned, a, a digital uh, file is actually recorded in a very regular and systematic way. The electrical signal, or equivalently the air pressure measured by the microphone, gets recorded. The standard number is it gets recorded 44,100 times every second. Okay. And uh, there are some people who think that you need to record more frequently than that to... Um, accurately reproduce the sound. Okay, 44,000 isn't fast enough is what they're saying. That's right, yeah. Okay. I think it's kind of a shame that people really get hung up on this number. It, people just assume that a higher sample rate is always better. Uh, but in fact, there are very robust mathematical theorems that tell us in very certain terms that uh, you don't need more than about 40,000 samples per second. In, in fact, it's really amazing. When you look at the original standard that people settled on for the compact disc, some number that's just a little bit over 40,000 cycles per second is the limit of what could possibly be relevant to a listener. That's not to say that there's never value in taking more recordings. When you're remastering mm -hmm. a recording, there are tricks you can do that might uh, benefit from having uh, more samples than that. But for the listener end of things, there is no information that will contribute to what a human ear can hear uh, at any rate faster than 40,000 cycles per second. Now, uh, if, if the sample rate was lower than 40,000 cycles per second, then it, it would, you know, it, it would be audible to human ears. What Rob's talking about is a phenomenon called aliasing. And it sounds like this. That sound is what you get when your sample rate is too low. But as Rob pointed out, 40,000 is where it stops mattering to go any further. And even if you were to sample uh, at a higher rate, we don't only have to consider what frequencies the human ear responds to. The human ear is only one of the uh, elements of this story. The sound gets transferred from... Uh, the room into an electrical signal by a microphone, and most microphones, even really high-quality microphones, cannot accurately record oscillations at frequencies higher than 20,000 hertz. Oh, whoa. Basically, because they're designed to collect signals for the human ear to hear. 
And that is true regardless of whether you are doing an analog recording or a digital recording, right? The mic is just the mic. That's correct. And even if that information is recorded in the digital file, it would not be reproduced by most speakers, even uh, even audiophile quality speakers. So the information that we lose by limiting ourselves to 44,000 hertz, not only is it information that a human being cannot hear, but it's usually information that a microphone cannot record and a speaker cannot play back. Okay, so so when Neil Young says we need to higher sampling rates, that doesn't really make sense at all. And he probably, whatever difference he thinks he's hearing, he's probably not hearing. That's right. And people can hear differences for a lot of reasons. That's why things get a little bit subtle. There is certainly a placebo effect involved in all of this. But, you know, people have done uh, double-blind testing, and those measurements uh, regularly show that uh, people's uh, accuracy at identifying which is which uh, is 50-50. It's the same as just a random guess. How do digital files compare with analog formats like vinyl. You know, are analog formats, quote unquote, more accurate? I would say no. Uh, First of all, there are a lot of different kinds of analog formats that that exist. And I bet there are very few people who would say uh, an audio cassette, like we were listening to in the car in the 1980s, is a higher (laughs) quality format than a CD. Now, there is the subject of vinyl, but another issue arises in analog audio formats, and that is degradation of the signal. Mm. So uh, when you play something off of a vinyl record, what's actually happening is a little needle is going along some groove and it's getting shaken back and forth by that groove and that gets turned into the electrical signal that we hear. Mm -hmm. But another byproduct of that process is that every time that needle goes through that groove, it nicks off little pieces of the vinyl every time that it bounces off of something. And that has a noticeable effect to the ear. It removes uh, especially the high-frequency components of the sound, just like, by the way, just like a lower sample rate would remove the high-frequency components of the sound. Right. And also, it introduces random noise to the signal, which a, a listener would hear as cracks and pops and hisses. I can certainly understand preferring the sound of audio played on vinyl because people actually like that degradation. So Neil Young said a lot of stuff about digital music, and he said specifically that it's inherently got huge problems, even the best. That's the quote. The digital thing is, it's just inherently got huge problems, even the best. Now that we've talked about all of this stuff, is he right about that? Is analog inherently better? In general, I would say no. There are certainly some examples where an analog recording might be better than a digital recording. There's a famous recording of Glenn Gould playing the uh, Goldberg Variations, a famous piano piece, Mm -hmm. that he made just as digital technology was very new. And uh, the original recording that was released used very by modern standards, very low-quality digital technology, uh, and it suffered from that. Yeah, I would have thought that with good digital technology, you wouldn't hear those pops. 
I definitely don't hear those when I listen to Spotify or Apple Music. But in general, you know, using comparable technology, there is nothing that is lost simply by using digital methods. And in fact, there's quite a lot that's gained in that it's a lot easier to understand what information is and isn't there in a digital signal. Whereas in an analog signal, you're leaving a lot up to the vagaries of the universe. Rob, thank you so much. Thank you. Rob Owen is a physicist at Oberlin College and Conservatory. And he was kind enough to send us some of his music, which would be impossible to make without digital technology. Here's a song called Sonata for Scalar Field in Two Dimensions. We'll be back in a sec. Okay, so Danny, I gotta say, it kind of feels like no matter what scientists say about this, some people are always going to feel that analog is better. So when Neil Young says that he can still remember when everything sounded great, that's a direct quote, what do you think's going on there? Who knows? Maybe Neil Young grew up only listening to the best analog recordings. But something that I think is really interesting is that There was actually a study that was done semi-recently within the past couple of years that pointed to the fact that there is actually a specific age where we stop listening to new artists. And that age is 33, which is younger than I expected. So basically, once you hit your mid-30s, you stop accepting new music as good and you start looking to the past with rose-colored glasses. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I think it might be a partially nostalgia there for Mr. Young. Mm-hmm. For the sake of sort of really looking at this issue in every way possible, do you think there are other benefits to digital? I, I think it's democratized everything in a way that people couldn't even perceive. If you think about a generation ago, if you wanted to make a record, you would have to book time in a studio. You'd have to book session musicians. It was a costly and time-intensive process. And now anyone with a computer can get some free software and some pretty good sounds and explore a creative side that maybe they didn't even know they had. I mean, Billie Eilish and Phineas made her record in their bedroom. What did Phineas say when he accepted the award? He said, this is for all the bedroom producers out there. That, that was I think, a very powerful moment. You know, we just make music in a bedroom together. We still do that. And they let us do that. And I, I just, um, this is to all of the kids who are making music in their bedroom today. You're going to get one of these. Danny Deal is a reporter of The Verge and a DJ and a producer. Danny, thank you so much. Thank you. reached out to Neil Young for comment. He didn't get back to us by our deadline. Over the last few weeks, we've asked listeners to send us recordings of themselves talking about what life has been like during the pandemic. And we got a few more for you this week, including one from a music producer named Mike. My name is Mike Davidson, and I live in Boston. I'm a, I'm a music producer, and I own a recording studio. 
And so it's been a little difficult uh, um, because we haven't been able to go into the studio to do any recording, but we've been trying to figure out how to work remotely with our artists. We we actually found one. There's there's a plugin that's called uh, Listen To, and it actually streams live audio right from Pro Tools or Logic. And so I can set my, my client up, whether they live down the street from me or across the country, um, with a little workstation, and they can record their parts and I can listen to what they're doing live. And it's just super cool. It's a game changer. So it's been nice to be able to get back in touch with with the music and to hear it in somewhat of all its glory. Hi, Ariel. This is Elena. I'm calling from Polson, Montana. And my partner lives 70 miles away, so we haven't been able to see each other. But one way we've been using technology to still find ways to connect um, is through Discord. I'm not really a gamer, but um, he is. And so we figured out how to use it to watch movies together. So we both log on and put our headsets on and we figure out what we're going to watch and we press play at the same time. And we can't hear what uh, we're watching, but we can hear each other. So it's kind of a way for us to watch a movie together and talk and joke around while we do it. And it almost feels like we're together on the same couch, um, even though we're not. Hi, Ariel. Surprise, surprise. This is your dad from Montreal. You want to know how COVID-19 has affected our use of technology? I'll let you know. I now meet up on Zoom with my two buddies on a weekly basis. You know who they are. We discuss all sorts of things. The pandemic or the damn-demic, as someone said. We discuss universities. We discuss family. We discuss aging and so on while virtually sharing some wine. Well, how else does it affect us? Oh, your mom and I are now reading more digital books from the local library. My last book was The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, a delightful book about Winston Churchill's first year as prime minister during World War II. And finally, we, we uh, instead of listening to your podcast while cooking or driving, we now put aside some time where we do nothing but listen to you. We enjoy your podcast and we learn a lot. This is a completely unbiased opinion, obviously. Je t'aime and je te donne un gros calais. So that was my dad. And that wraps up today's show. If you want to test yourself on the difference between high-res audio versus compressed audio, NPR has an online quiz that we will link to in the show notes. So be sure to check it out. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zuemros. But you don't have to say it that way. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. And you can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. Will Reed and Skylar Swenson produced the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Our intern is Daniel Marcus, and he produced this episode. By the way, Friday was his last day with Reset, and we're all really sad to lose him. He was a huge help, and I have no doubt that he will do very well in podcasting and beyond. Now back to the regular credits. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. 
Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. And the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our wonderful theme music. Reset is produced in association with Stitcher, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds. Later, nerds.